lecture eleven part one of christian patience by william bernard ullathorne this librivox recording is in the public domain lecture eleven on patience in prayer part one because thou hast kept the word of my patience i will keep thee from the hour of temptation apocalypse chapter three verse ten when we reflect on the inconstancy of the mind and the instability of the will we have most painful proofs of the weakness of human nature restless as the weathercock on the steeple the mind shifts from point to point incapable when left to its own nature of dwelling long on any subject without many deviations and distractions the cause of this infirmity is not so much the mind itself as the restlessness of the senses the petulance of the imagination the waywardness of curiosity and impatience of the conditions of each present moment the will is shaken from its constancy and stability by the same causes and by the continual changes which our feelings undergo every movement around us every voice that speaks to us produces some change in us the eye of the soul is now here now there her affections are now up now down she is too weak to hold on her course without being in a greater or less degree affected and turned about by every varying attraction that brings its influence to bear upon her tremulous mobility such is human nature left to its native infirmity and without the discipline of the virtues this restless inconstancy gives melancholy evidence that we are not firmly united with the object for which we were created for whatever has obtained its end is at peace through being united with that end and is at rest from perturbations and from wanderings without reasonable purpose it is clear that what the soul most needs is some steadying power that will not only give stability to the mind and will but a preservation of the balance of stability by resistance to whatever would disturb it but as the object of such a power is to heal the weakness which causes this instability it is evident that it cannot be looked for within our nature but must come from one who is by nature strong constant and unchangeable this power is the grace and virtue of christian patience which strengthens and steadies the will and through the will the mind and all the powers hence all things weak within us look to patience for their remedy this virtuous power strengthens and unites in us what weakness disunites and dissipates but as that which is weak is strengthened by resting on what is strong the soul is made strong by resting with her interior centre upon the strengthening power of god be thou o my soul subject to god for from him is my patience psalm sixty one verse six as god is above us and we beneath to be subject to god is to rest on him that is to be united with him 
what is restless by nature can only be made calm and peaceful by union with what is calm and peaceful we obtain peace from our troubles by union with the god of peace it is good for me to adhere to god to set my hope on the lord god psalm 72 verse 28 as we can only obtain stability of mind and heart by union with what is unchangeable our soul obtains stability by union with the unchangeable god the principle of that union is charity and god has placed the power of patience in the gift of charity that we may be able to adhere with our spirit to him in a firm stable and patient love charity is patient whatever is created is made for an object and an end which is different from itself from which it receives its fullness peace and perfection god has created us for himself and only by union with god can we receive our fullness peace and perfection this union we seek in prayer and obtain through prayer and by prayer we prepare ourselves for our eternal union with god for the final end of prayer as of all good works is our eternal union with god in his beatifying vision it is therefore of great importance to understand what we ought to put into our prayer for the value and merit of our good works depend less on their show than on the spirit and virtue put into them it has been accurately observed in human actions that god looks less to the verbs than to the adverbs that is to the spirit and manner in which we do our actions to the virtues we put into them and cassian says with great truth that we come to the perfection of prayer with the construction of all the virtues for unless they are collected and compacted in the elevation of prayer they can in no wise be firm or enduring in their stability this is a great light it shows that not only must the virtues enter into prayer be united in prayer and blended together in prayer but that it is in prayer they receive their stability for the performance of other good works the first condition of prayer is attention the second is humility whereby the soul is opened and made subject to god the third is faith in god and trust that he will hear our prayer and grant us according to his promises the fourth is the love of god which makes our prayer generous and acceptable the fifth is obedience to the interior movements of the holy spirit the sixth is patience and as attention wholly depends on patience this virtue should be present throughout every good prayer not only to keep our mind firm and steady to the presence of god but also that the soul may adhere to him in faith hope and love hence that most enlightened and experienced guide of souls father lewis of granada tells us that patience is not only necessary but is marvelously necessary for obtaining and preserving the fruits of prayer let us consider what attention is and what it is in prayer taken literally the word attention signifies a stretching forth 
we stretch forth the ear to listen the eye to see and the mind to understand as an interior act attention is the act of directing and applying the mind to some special object presented to our thoughts attention in prayer is the stretching forth and applying the mind to god and to divine things it is evident that this action of the mind depends upon the energy of the will which both directs and applies the mind to its object it is equally obvious that our attention will be generous in proportion to our detachment from sensual self-love the mind tends to god by command of the will and takes heed of what we see think feel and say to him perfect attention in prayer excludes attention to whatever belongs not to that duty this attention ought to be humble loving trusting free peaceful patient and persevering the hindrances to fixed steadfast and patient attention are well known to be numerous but they are by no means the same to all persons for the power of attention is gained as the fruit of habitual recollection those souls that have disciplined themselves into habits of recollection obtain the patient possession of themselves and the custody of their mind and heart frees their attention from many impediments some again are by nature of a firmer and less irritable texture than others and respond more readily to that grace of patience which sustains and protects attention let us enumerate the chief hindrances that interfere with recollection and attention in prayer not in detail that would be impracticable but in their kinds and we shall find that they are all conquered by patience the first hindrance to attention is the restlessness of the body with its nerves in constant play and its senses in unpeaceful movement unless the will has obtained patience to disregard the restless emotions of the body and to keep the attention abstracted from them they will make the mind restless and the attention unsteady the patient mind attends to god and to her prayer and refuses to be disturbed by the animal feelings which cease to trouble when the soul is not with them restlessness of body arises from various causes one of which is the very quietude of posture in prayer and the greater consciousness of any movement in that quietude another is due to the habit of giving too much attention of mind to the sensual feelings at all times which greatly fosters their power over the mind another may arise from intemperance of diet which is apt to cause local irritability as well as weakness in the mental powers another cause is want of habitual control of temper which disposes the soul to fret at small things and disturbs the tranquillity of the senses sometimes when the body is in a state of restlessness a change of position will give considerable relief some who are by nature restless are best able to think and reflect when in motion but holy souls who are truly patient will not even allow great sufferings of body to interfere with their recollection except to bring them closer to god 
but if the soul is distracted from attention by only moderate irritation in the earthly frame there can be no true patience in the will for true patience adheres to the object of prayer regardless for the time of all inferior things the second hindrance to attention is from the imagination this volatile and many-coloured intruder is excellent in its place as the servant of truth and is the first help to meditation and when rightly used gives much instruction and delight but it is also the chief cause of our distractions wanderings from attention and delusions there is nothing that the uncontrolled imagination will not at times protrude upon the recollection of devout attention from mere flitting distractions to gross images of vice as the imagination is closely connected with the senses from which its action originates it is apt to cause disturbance in the senses as well as the mind and even to awaken passions such as resentment or sadness when again the subtle movements of self-love gain entrance into the imagination not only is the attention diverted from god to self but the imagination becomes imbued with the vanities of self-love and will bring that self with its petty interests before the mind in a way to eclipse the light of prayer but when these disturbing shadows are first perceived it is the duty of patience to increase the energy of attention and to adhere with greater application to the object of prayer leaving these distractions to fall away for want of notice the third hindrance to attention is the intrusion of things from the memory that have no proper connection with prayer these ordinarily come though not always through the medium of the imagination they are caused by association of ideas and frequently by association of contraries which are sometimes painful as well as troublesome when these memories are connected with ourselves or with our external pursuits or with any one towards whom we have strong feelings of any kind unless the mind holds on with patience they have much power to distract attention distractions from the memory or the imagination become very troublesome if the least importance is attached to them if the soul yields to any anxiety about them they may at times take shadowy forms that seem to touch faith or to sound like blasphemy or even touch on purity yet this in pious souls will be nothing perhaps but the mechanical association of what is directly contrary to the desires of the soul to attend to such suggestions to be anxious about them to attach any importance to them is to give them a power of troubling and tormenting which they have not in themselves the effective way of treating such intrusions on attention is to adhere with patience to god to help that adhesion with active aspirations and utterly to disregard them when the mind perseveres in attention to the divine object of prayer despite of accidental perturbations the soul cannot become engaged with herself and those intrusive images dissolve and vanish for want of attention to nourish them 
to be anxious about them is to give them entertainment this enables them to trouble both recollection and peace and so the end of the tempter is gained it is of great importance to understand that where evil spirits tempt us they have no power allowed them except on the corporal senses and the imagination they cannot act in the substance of the soul without the soul's consent it is equally important to understand that though the imagination acts on the mind it has its origin from the corporal senses when this was explained to saint teresa it became an epoch of light in her spiritual life she then understood how to manage her imagination and what degree of importance was to be attached to that which saint paul calls the spirit of the flesh there are celebrated pictures by great artists which profess to represent the temptations of saint antony the hermit whilst in prayer and some of them are widely known by engravings properly understood these pictures give a valuable instruction they represent in visible shapes the solicitations and temptations with which the imagination besets the mind in prayer some of these figures are grave others refined and seductive others grotesque and ridiculous but whilst these creatures of the imagination seek to attract the attention of the saint to allure him from recollection or to dissipate his prayer by their charms illusions antics or seductions the saint himself kneels with his whole soul concentrated on god his features exhibit the strain upon his fortitude and there is a consciousness of the siege with which his soul is beset but his patience does not waver his will holds his attention with steadfastness towards god and refuses to be diverted even for an instant from the object of his prayer he has mastered these solicitations he has mastered the ridiculous he has mastered the anxieties of temptation and distraction and that simply and solely by adhering to god with patience the fourth hindrance to attention is a very subtle one and the more mischievous because it springs directly from self-love so long as the soul abides in the humble sense of her nothingness before god and looks to him with patient confidence as the giver of all she stands in need of temptation will slide off and leave her prayer uninjured but if the soul begins to lose sight of what she is before god and departing from her humility takes delight in what she fancies the success of her prayer her attention will secretly glide off from god to herself a shadow of that imaginary self will come between her real self and god and though it may not efface the divine presence from her mind it will nevertheless obscure that holy presence whilst it will raise the spirit of self-conceit self-love and vanity will come into action and show themselves in petty fancies and weak sentimentalities there may be industrious compositions of sentences and other dressings of vanity making a silly display before god for one's own entertainment 
just as vain people do in their conversation with their neighbours this loquacious prayer of self-love is very offensive it is an example of that much speaking which our lord rebuked in the prayer of the heathens who thought much of themselves and little of god the prayer in spirit and in truth moves not from self-love but from the grace of the holy spirit and moves towards god with love and veneration it consists not in fine words or pleasant poetry but is penetrated with the power and goodness of god and with the sense of our own lowliness poverty and want when the heart is truly touched with light and grace and subdued into earnest desire the soul will express herself in the simplest words springing without art or effort from the spirit that moves within this is the prayer of humble fervour which is not easily distracted because of its patience and simplicity but the prayer which is corrupted by the vanity of self-love invites distraction can such a prayer be pleasing to god not when we are in labour with our vanity he has said to whom shall i have respect but to him that is poor and little and of a contrite spirit and that trembleth at my words isaiah chapter sixty six verse two and the proverb says his will is in them that walk in simplicity proverbs chapter eleven verse twenty the moment this vain spirit is detected everything should give way to profound humiliation before god and to a deep sense of shame at having thus behaved in the divine presence whoever is subject to this infirmity will find in it the proof of an unmortified will and such a one should not only begin prayer with an act of profound humility and subjection to god but should repeat that act from time to time in the course of prayer this should be accompanied with the consideration of one's nothingness before god who sees through all our weaknesses and who demands of the fallen creature humility before all things and the simplicity of a helpless child in the presence of his creator at the end of prayer he should consider how he has yielded to presumption or has borne himself with single-hearted simplicity that he may ask pardon where he has erred from vanity or conceit the fifth hindrance to attention arises from confusion of mind there are some persons who at certain times know not where to begin or how to pursue their prayer they flounder in confusion of mind from beginning to end in such cases recourse should be had to a book and that book should be used freely not only as a guide but as a support to reflection there are few persons who cannot meditate on the passion of christ and they can have nothing better this state of mind requires a great deal of patience when the mind can do nothing else the will can always wait on god which with patience is an excellent prayer but when the mind cannot meditate the heart can always use simple aspirations which are the very essence of prayer but the greatest cause of mental confusion is scrupulosity which greatly impedes the freedom of the mind 
scrupulosity is a real malady it has its seat in the imagination and it gravely affects the action of the will as well as of the judgment it is a kind of mania ruled by the fixed image of sin which oversways the balance of the judgment so that the just distinction between right and wrong is no longer discerned in our acts or thoughts as a person suffering from jaundice has his eyes so filled with yellow bile that everything he looks upon seems tinted with that colour so the scrupulous person has his mental sight so filled with the image and fear of sin that it hangs like a phantom before his eyes and seems to give its colour to all his acts hence he attaches the notion of sin to his most innocent thoughts and actions and lives in constant dread that what he does is sinful and this more especially in his acts of piety in some persons this malady is constitutional and may be detected by a person of spiritual discernment by external signs in others the trial is only temporary it is obvious from the nature of this malady that those who suffer from it cannot be judges in their own cause for the disease affects the judgment itself which is unable to decide except on the judgment of another where there is pride and that is seldom absent there is great obstinacy of will and this makes the malady much more difficult to cure there is but one remedy for this suffering state of soul and that is absolute and implicit obedience to the spiritual physician when the physician pronounces that the patient is suffering from scrupulosity the first and indispensable duty of the sufferer is to believe that such is the case although the scrupulous person may neither see nor understand how that can be for unless the patient trusts the physician the cure cannot be effected the second duty of the scrupulous is to faithfully follow the few and simple rules given by the director for its cure however unreasonable they may appear to the disordered judgment of the sufferer that judgment may be perfectly sound in every other respect excepting where there is question of sin or of the imagination and dread of sin when this malady gives rise to disquiet and anxiety disturbing to the peace of prayer the sufferer should seek special direction as to the kind of prayer most suited to the case and as to the conduct to be pursued in prayer it will greatly encourage the obedience of the scrupulous if they will assure themselves that they are only responsible to god for their obedience and that the director is responsible for all that is enjoined to them end of lecture eleven part one